Well, gang, we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. If you want to turn with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 5 this morning. The three key words that we're going to look at this morning is going to be words, wealth, and work. Words, wealth, and work. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that you are committed to speaking to us through your word. And we don't want to take it flippantly, the opportunity that we have to come and listen. So we pray that you give us ears to hear what you're saying to each of us this morning, what you're saying to us as a church this morning. Would you pour out your spirit? Would you lead us and guide us? We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Verse 1, walk prudently when you go to the house of God. This is not the instruction that you would think with prudence. When we think of prudence, it means to be on guard. Oftentimes we use it in making good decisions of avoiding sin and avoiding evil to be prudent. But here God says to walk prudently when you come to his house, to think about what you're doing. Anytime we do something over and over again, it can become routine we can lose the meaning behind it. It can be that way with reading the word. Uh, It's awesome if reading God's word becomes a routine in our lives, but sometimes we can approach it not really expecting God to speak or expecting to, to listen. Sometimes when we come to church week after week, it can become a habit. We're really not expecting that God is going to speak. And so what Solomon is encouraging us here is stop and think about what you're doing when you draw near to the Lord. Goes on to say, and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. So purpose to listen, purpose to listen. When we come and draw near to the Lord, draw near to hear what God would say. This clearly communicates that God is speaking. God is wanting to get our attention. In Hebrews 2, also in Psalms 95, it says, Today, if you will hear his voice. Every day God is speaking. The question is, am I listening? Am I listening to what God is saying? Jesus wrote seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, and he ends each letter the same way. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the Spirit is speaking, God is speaking, but are we coming to listen? The idea here is someone's coming in and they're so busy talking to God that they haven't taken the time to listen to God. They're offering the sacrifice of a fool, and in doing so, they're doing evil and they don't even realize it. It's easy to come before the Lord and to express all of our needs and wants and desires before Him. And God's a father, he wants to hear those things, but he also wants us to pause and to listen to him. Sometimes in our communication with God, I don't know that we're really wanting to hear from him or expecting to hear from him. We're simply kind of giving him all of our concerns, giving him all of our wants, and then we're like, peace out, see ya, have a good day, right? We haven't even taken the time to listen to what he may, may say. And some of you might be saying, well, I want to hear God's voice. You're telling me that God is speaking, so how do I hear his voice? First and foremost is through the word of God. That is how God primarily speaks to us, is through his word. I'm a firm believer in the promise that God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. 
as we're reading the word every day, many times we go, that's exactly what I needed to hear. How many times when we've listened to a teaching, whether in church or on a podcast, we go, wow, that's exactly what I needed to hear. God's speaking to us for that day. He's saying, Eric, this is what you need today. And so through God's word is the primary way that God speaks. Also, God does speak through a still small voice. We see that with Elijah. God spoke to him through a still small voice. It's not an audible voice, but God is impressing his will upon our hearts. We have to be careful with that. We always got to make sure that that still small voice is lining up with the word of God. God's not going to contradict himself. Sometimes we can get it wrong in hearing God's voice. And for me, the way to hear God's voice many times is being still, isn't it? It's taking the time to, to listen. If I'm not being still before, before the Lord, I'm, I'm not going to listen. And so this is that expectation that when we open the word of God, that God is speaking, that we're drawing near for the purpose of, of hearing. Verse two, do not be rash with your mouth and do not let your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Don't speak too quickly before God. Think about what you're saying before we say it before the Lord. Don't utter anything hastily before God. Because the reason is, is he's in heaven, we're on earth. To remember his perspective. Jesus taught us to pray and he said, Our Father which art in heaven. When we begin prayer to acknowledge, You're my Father and you're in heaven. You have a different perspective than I have here on earth. This morning, if we were on Pikes Peak, looking down to the valley of Colorado Springs, our perspective would be different, even of Rocky Mountain Calvary. Probably have to get out some binoculars and go, oh, there's my church right there, you know? Whole different perspective. And God's perspective in heaven is not one that he doesn't care. Some people think that. Well, God's too busy, or he's too distant. He doesn't care. He's our father. He truly does care, but he is in heaven. He's upon his throne. He has absolute power, and he has absolute wisdom. I know for many, prayer is difficult to begin with. And you may say, well, now I'm really discouraged in prayer. You know, uh, here I'm not supposed to say too much before God. No, this is not that we're not to come before God, but we're to bring meaning into it. That we're to slow down a little bit and consider what we're saying and bringing those prayers before the Lord. In verse 3, for a dream comes through much activity, and a fool's voice is known by his many words. Dreams or visions, aspirations come through much activity, through hard work. But a fool is known by just sitting around and talking. They've got a vision, they've got a dream, they want to accomplish something, but all they do is talk about it. So it's another example of the abuse of words. We know that in order for visions and dreams and aspirations to come about, it involves a lot of hard work, doesn't it? And God honors hard work, and ultimately it's his work, not our hard work, but visions and dreams and accomplishments, they don't take place without hard work. In verse 4, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in vows. Pay what you vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and to not pay. A vow is a serious commitment, right? When a bride and groom stand before God and before one another, they're making a vow. They're committing before God and before one another 
in this lifelong commitment of marriage. So God is saying, evaluate your commitments before him before you make them. (laughs) Sometimes it's easy to make a flippant commitment before God, a vow before God. Maybe we haven't stopped to consider if we can fulfill the vow or fulfill the commitment. Like you may may be moved by God to say, I'm going to commit to you that I'm going to read your word at least 10 minutes a day. Every day I'm going to read my Bible. Well, that would be a good commitment. But if you're going to make it a solemn vow, you might want to stop and consider there may be some days where I physically can't fulfill that, right? Or I might have a bad day or an off day or those type of things. I don't know how much that the Lord is necessarily looking for some greater vow on our part. Now, don't get me wrong. We need to be committed to Christ and committed to following Christ. But the finished work of the cross, we simply get to respond to that. And we respond to the goodness of God and say, God, I want to read your word. I remember being in eighth grade and I went to a Christian school and there was a chapel and the chapel speaker taught this verse and said, I'm going to challenge you to make a solemn vow to raise your hand that you're going to read God's word five minutes a day. And that made sense to me and I went ahead and raised my hand. But I haven't fulfilled that perfectly, right? There's been some days where, many days where I have, I've missed it, right? A lot of days where I have read the word, but a lot of days that I haven't. So, so really slow down and consider, am I going to be able to fulfill this? Am I going to be able to follow through with this vow that I'm making uh, before God? Follow through with your vows. In verse 6, don't let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your, your hands? Solomon's big idea is trying to find substance, value, meaning, how to make the works of his hands last. And one of the things that he realizes is if you make a flippant vow before God, that could cause God to destroy the work of your hands. So he's still following his theme here. And he's saying if you make a vow and you don't follow through it, God may then respond by destroying the work of your hands. So don't sin with your mouth. There's a lot of ways to sin with your mouth. Amen? Are we agreed on that? But in context, what he's talking about is a foolish commitment before God. That that is the way that we're sinning with with our mouth. In verse 7, For in the multitude of dreams, in many words, this is also vanity. Maybe at different seasons of your life, you've had a lot of dreams, a lot of aspiration, a lot of vision, and a lot of talking about that. And if that's all that it is, then Solomon says it's meaningless. It's empty. There's not a lot more to that than just dreaming and talking. But in contrast, but fear God. That could really sum up these first seven verses is fear God, respect God, stand in awe of God. This was a key concept for Solomon and also key throughout scripture is to fear God. In the Proverbs, it says to fear God is the beginning of wisdom. And a lot of times we misunderstand the fear of God. What is the fear of God? It's to put him in his proper place and to put us in our proper place. To truly be in awe of him and to truly be in a place of respect before him. And when we're fearing God, I think then we come to draw near to here. We say, Lord, I'm coming near to you today because I want to hear. I know that you're speaking, and what do I need to hear from you today? And Lord, help me to not make a foolish vow before you. Help me to not speak too quickly 
before you. In verse eight, if you see the oppression of the poor and the violent perversion of justice and righteousness in a province, do marvel at the matter. For high official watches over high official and high officials are over them. Again, in this theme of how can your works be lost, one of the ways that your works can be lost is through injustice. And he says, don't be surprised about injustice. This is the good old boy system. This high official scratches this high official's back, and they're all taking care of themselves, but they're not looking after justice. Verse 9, moreover, the profit of the land is for all. Even the king is served from the field. This is true. Everybody's blessed by the field. Everybody needs to eat bread. We now shift to wealth. We go from words to wealth. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. The love of wealth never satisfies. Solomon chooses silver, but you could replace it with any type of wealth. Gold, money, stocks, homes. The love of this is not going to satisfy Solomon knew by personal experience, didn't he? He was extremely wealthy. We see that from the Kings and the Chronicles. And he's saying, this wealth did not satisfy me. It didn't bring abundance in my life. Remember the goal of Ecclesiastes is to enjoy the abundant life that Christ provides. We've got to pay attention to what we love. And we can easily give our affection to different things and at different times. Jesus warned and said, you can't love and serve God and mammon, God and money. You're going to love one and hate another. Something is going to have our chief affection. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So money in and of itself is not evil. Wealth is not evil, but our attitude towards it is what becomes evil. I think money has false advertisement, doesn't it? It has this advertisement of once you have it, you're going to be satisfied. Once you have it, it's going to fill this, this emptiness in your life. And so you're, you're pressing in to try to, to get more and have more, but it can never satisfy. And loving silver, you'll never be satisfied. If you make that your affection, you won't be satisfied. But love the Lord, delight in the Lord, and you're going to be satisfied. He who loves abundance and increase, this is also vanity. This is emptiness. In verse 11, I love verse 11. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. So what profit have the owners except to see them with their own eyes? Another translation puts it this way. So its owner gains nothing except to see his wealth before it is spent. More wealth, more consumers. We've all experienced this, right? Thankful, praising the Lord that you got a raise. Go redo the monthly, weekly budget. And you realize, man, utilities have gone up. Gas has gone up. It's $3 a gallon again. Oh my goodness. Life insurance, car insurance, home insurance, health insurance has all gone up. The consumers went up with the increase And before you know it, the budget's even in the same place or a little bit worse, right? (laughs) So in our minds, we go, increase is the answer. If I could just make more money, if I could just have more wealth, 
then I'm going to be in a, in a better place. And what Solomon experienced, again, this is personal from him. He's like, man, as I saw wealth increase and I had all of these possessions, then also there was more needs. There was more consumers that came along with it. So that the benefit then of the owner is just to see his wealth before it's spent. Money seems to have a way of growing wings and flying away. For some reason, I think of money like the Twitter symbol. You know the Twitter symbol with the bird and the wings? And that's money. It just tweets away. Just quickly, quickly goes away. So this is wisdom, just to remember that with more wealth comes more consumers, comes more needs. Verse 12, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. Wealth can rob you of your sleep. So here we have a person who is laboring. They're working hard, so their sleep is sweet. They're so tired at the end of the day from hard work that they fall upon the the pillow and they sleep good. There's something good about an honest day's work, isn't there? It provides a wonderful night's sleep. Whether they have little or much, they're not too concerned because they've got work to be concerned with the next day. In contrast, we have a person who has the abundance of riches. It says, but the abundance of the rich will not permit them to sleep. It seems to be that there's so much abundance in their life that they don't have to necessarily be concerned with working, but they do have to be concerned with how they're going to manage their wealth, how they're going to secure their wealth, how to make sure that all of their properties are, are managed. And with them, it robs them of their sleep. Now, it doesn't have to rob you of your sleep. Again, this is an attitude that's, that's towards money. Money tells us a lot about our hearts, doesn't it? And God does call us to be stewards of his money. You could read these verses and kind of take this attitude of like, well, who cares about money? I'm just going to punt money. Well, I hate to tell you this. You're going to deal with words every day. You're going to deal with wealth, money, every day. And you're going to deal with work every day. These things are a part of our lives, whether we want it or not. So we have to engage in being good managers and to be able to say, man, it's wise to come up with a budget and, and give and, and look at all of these things and do that to the, to the glory of God. But when it consumes us, which it easily can, to the point that we're losing sleep over it, something's gone wrong in our hearts, Right? We want to say, God, this is your money. I want to be as responsible as I possibly can. And then I need to put this in your hands. We really have an interesting culture when it comes to finances and the things that we're concerned about. I think most of us are really concerned with just if we can afford to die when we're old, right? You sit down with a financial planner and they're like, man, you're going to need this much money just to be able to die. And you're like, wow, that's super encouraging, right? (laughs) Do all the inflation and how it's all going to go up and the cost of in-home care and then if you need to be in a, a facility and those, those types of things and then you go home and you're like, man, I'm really in a world of hurt here. I, I'm going to have to try to save all this money just so I can afford to die. And then we're laying in bed, worried and consumed and losing sleep over it. Now be wise. I think it's important to, to plan the best that you can for, for the future but if it's gotten us to the point where we're losing sleep over it, we, we've missed something. We, we've missed it. And in here, I think, is um, a blessing. You know, if you've got work to do every day, that's from the Lord. That's a blessing from God. 
It's caused you to get tired and sleep well and to say, Lord, thank you that I have work and maybe even thank you, Lord, that I need to go to work (laughs) because maybe it wouldn't be so good for me to have such abundance that I didn't have to go to work and all I had time to do was sit sit around and think about all of my wealth. So wealth can rob you of, of sleep. Increase in money can bring increase in anxiety. Verse 13, there is a severe evil which I see under the sun, riches kept for their owner to his hurt. Solomon says this is a severe evil that he sees. Someone that is blessed with lots of money, with lots of wealth, and they're hoarding their wealth to the point where it's actually bringing destruction in their lives. Instead of keeping it, instead of holding on to it, they had the option of giving and they had the option of enjoying. And this person, this example that we're given here, doesn't know how to give and they don't know how to enjoy. And so in turn, it ultimately brings destruction in their lives. We read in the New Testament to let each one purpose in his own heart what he should give. Giving is between you and the Lord as you pray. Lord, where do you want me to be giving? How much do you want me to be giving? But God does call us all to give. He calls us to tithe because it's his way of freeing our hearts of greed. It frees us from this hoarding mentality. When we give, we're practically acknowledging, God, this all belongs to you. Jesus said, lay up your treasures in heaven because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And by giving financially, you're putting treasure in heaven and your heart is going to be in heaven. Your heart is going to follow treasure. So God will help each person. He'll lead each person to say, hey, this is the time to give. And giving is such a beautiful thing. It's such a blessing to be able to give. There's more joy in giving than in receiving. On Labor Day, it was the last day that Waterworld was uh, open and summer got busy. We hadn't made it to Waterworld, so we went up on Labor Day. My mother-in-law had given us six tickets but two of our kids couldn't go, so four of us were going, and we had two extra tickets, and we're standing in line, and this family's in front of us, and we were able to just give them two tickets. And the husband looks at me, and he goes, well, do you want anything for these? I'm like, no, just be blessed. Like, be blessed and have a good time. And we walked away, and the four of us, I felt better than they did, right? And these were tickets that were given to me, and I just was able to pass them on to somebody else, but there was so much joy in that. And there's more joy in giving than hoarding. And God will show you and he'll move in our hearts when it is time to give and when it's time to enjoy. But this person is missing that. They're simply just keeping and holding on to things to their own destruction. Solomon now gives us several reasons of why hoarding or keeping is not wise in verse 14. But those riches perish through misfortune. When he begets a son, there is nothing in his hand. So there was God-given opportunities to give, God-given opportunities to enjoy, but this person missed that, and then misfortune happens, and there goes all the wealth anyway. And that can happen really easily. It goes back to money having wings and flying away, right? So now the opportunity's gone, and there's still nothing to pass on as an inheritance. Another reason, in verse 15, as he came from his mother's womb, naked shall he return, to go as he came, and he shall take nothing from his labor. 
which he may carry away in his hand. Another reason to give and enjoy is you can't take it with you anyway, right? So you die with a bunch of stuff. So you die with a bunch of money. You still die, right? And that can't go into heaven. It can't go into eternity. And so that's another reason for giving. It's another reason for enjoying. In verse 16, and this is also is a severe evil, just exactly as he came, so he shall go. And what profit has he who has labored for the wind? So he's been laboring, 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 didn't enjoy it, didn't share it. And so what was the point? What was the purpose? We get a picture of this individual in a greater way in verse 17. All of his days he eats in darkness. He has much sorrow and sickness and anger. So he's got a big pot of money, but he's sitting in darkness, sitting in sorrow, sitting in sickness, and sitting in anger. Not a place that any of us want to be. So here's this individual. You go into their house, and all the lights are off. And the family comes in. Neighbors come in. Friends come in and say, hey, let's turn on the lights and have a party. Let's enjoy hanging out. You know, let's, let's watch the Rockies game. Not the Broncos. The Rockies this year, right? And all of a sudden, he's like, no, we, we can't turn on the lights. Do you know what that's going to do to the utility bill? And he's got the money. It's not an issue that he can't afford to pay the utility bill. He could pay 10 utility bills. He could pay the whole block's utility bills, right? But he's a miser and saying, no, we, we've got to get in darkness. And we fast forward a little bit, and now it's January here in Colorado, and again, his family and friends come into his house like, it is so cold in here. You got the heat at stinking 52. Like just above where the pipes are going to freeze. It's like, well, you know, I told you already. If we turn it up to 62, you know what that's going to do to the utilities? That's going to cost me an extra 15 bucks. Now we're not doing this, right? You get the point. You get the idea. There is a gift that's been given to him by God, and he needs to enjoy it. He needs to share it. This is time for him to have a big barbecue and invite everybody over, right? And enjoy the provisions that the Lord has freely given. Verse 18, we get to our point. It says, here's what I've seen. It's good and fitting for one to eat and drink and enjoy the good of all of his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life which God gives him, for it is his heritage. So we've seen words, we've seen wealth, and now we look at work. And these are significant words when it comes to the book of Ecclesiastes. It's good and fitting. Because so much of Ecclesiastes has been, it's all meaningless. It's empty. So now we get to something that says, oh, this is good. This is beautiful. This is proper. This is fitting. This is Solomon's conclusion, to enjoy the good of all of his labor, his work. So God has blessed you with work. He's blessed you with the ability to go to work. And from that toil under the sun, God gives blessing. And those blessings are a heritage from the Lord. Heritage is reserved blessing. So God is a loving father. He's like, all right, I want to bless my kids. I'm going to bless them with some work. I'm going to bless them with some ability to do some work. And with that, to have some fruit, to have a paycheck, 
to have something come from that labor. So now enjoy it. Now share it. Now be a blessing to others. We see this thought continued. As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him power to eat of it, to receive his heritage and rejoice in all of his labor, this is a gift of God. At the beginning of chapter 6, Solomon describes a person who's been blessed with wealth, but they don't have the ability to be able to enjoy it. We oftentimes take for granted any degree of health that God has given to us. To grab a cup of water and be able to take a drink is a blessing from the Lord. To be able to have a cup of coffee and enjoy a cup of coffee, to be able to pick it up and drink it, is a gift from the Lord. If you've ever had an injury, which for a period of time you weren't able to walk, and you recovered, you're like, oh, it is so good to walk. Man, I'm so thankful to be able to walk. I'm going to walk to the mailbox. Woo! This is great. I'm going to walk to work. Woo! Woo! This feels awesome, right? All of these little things that God gives to us to be able to joy and go, this is the goodness of God. We go from toiling and striving and longing for more to contentment, to gratitude, to enjoying the gifts that God's giving. God, you've given this gift. So I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to be thankful for it. And I'm going to rejoice in you. I think that this is one of the ways that God is glorified in our lives. When we receive his gracious gifts with gratitude, he's glorified. What if unbelievers are like, man, I want to be a stinking Christian because they just seem to enjoy life so much. I want to I enjoy life like them. Why do you enjoy life so much? Well, because God gave me his son. And he's given me some awesome mountains to be able to enjoy. And he's given me the health to be able to walk up them and walk down them. And I'm so thankful for these friends and, and this family. And go, wow, that sure is a different perspective. I want to hear more about Jesus. In verse 20, for he will not dwell unduly on the days of his life because God keeps him busy with the joy of his heart. I love this. You can overthink the days of this life. There's stewardship, there's thought, there's decisions that need to be made, but we can dwell on it too much. This is overly dwelling on the days of this life. And in contrast to that, God keeping us busy with the joy of his heart. And if our heart is filled with joy, that helps us to not overthink this life. So here I am working, thankful to be able to work, thankful for the provision, enjoying it, enjoying the people that God has put in my life. And that helps me from overthinking my life. If you have the opportunity to do something for work that you enjoy, you can't put a price tag on that. You're getting, you're getting the ability to pursue the joy of your heart. God, I actually like getting up and going to work. And I know for some, you don't like the job that you do. And you still have the opportunity to be able to enjoy the Lord in the midst of that labor. Are you really busy with your family? Well, praise God, right? Has God blessed you with kids and they make you want to pull your hair out sometimes? 
But at the end of the day, in the end of your life, you're like, man, that was the joy of my heart. I love these little rascals. These are my rascals. This is Team Cartier right here. God has blessed you with, with the joy of, of your heart. Are you able to serve God in some capacity, you know? Are you able to serve here at Rocky Mountain Calvary or serve in your neighborhood? And God's given you the ability to do that and the time to do that. And you're like, wow, this is the joy of my heart. God has made me busy with the joy of my heart. And when we're in that place of, of gratitude and enjoying what he's placed in our hands, then we're not overthinking this life. So what are we seeing this morning? First, words. Let our words be few as it comes to, to worship. Even as we sing this last song in just a moment, may we calm our hearts, quiet our hearts to truly listen before the Lord. May we renew our faith that God is speaking. When we pull up into the parking lot here at Austin Bluffs and Academy, may we come in faith, not in routine, but in faith to believe, God, you're going to speak to me through your word. You're going to speak to me through worship. You're going to speak to me through the fellowship of believers. When we open our Bibles, to not just open it out of routine, but open it out of faith to believe, Lord, I need to hear from you. And you tell me that you're speaking, so I'm listening. Draw near to hear. With wealth, don't love it, don't hoard it, and don't lose sleep over it. Be a good steward, trust God, come up with a plan, and discern when it's time to give, and discern when it's time to enjoy. Work, seek to enjoy the blessings that God has provided to his glory. We might not hear too many messages like this, but church, it's time to celebrate. It's time to celebrate. No matter what our circumstances are, God has blessed us, and every good and perfect gift comes from him. And find some ways to celebrate. Maybe go get some ice cream to the glory of God, right? You know? Go drink an extra cup of coffee to the glory of God. If you like kale salad, go have another kale salad to the glory of God. Like, get together with people and turn on the lights. Open the doors. Say, hey, let's just celebrate that God is good and his faithfulness in our lives. Let's stand together and let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you're a God of celebration. You're you're a father who invites us to come and dine, to enjoy you. We take for granted all of the blessings that you give to us. And Lord, today, would you free us up to celebrate you, to receive those good gifts? not just today, but throughout our lives. So would you grow us in this area of gratitude? We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.